You are listening to a Victory Alabang podcast. Honoring God is a matter of the heart. Listen to this message by Pastor Junis Kasar. Wow, we're doing a new series. I'm honored that I'll be preaching. I believe this series, Honor God, is foundational to all the other preachings we have for this entire year. This is so exciting. In fact, uh, in week one, we will be, this will be four weeks uh, topics for this series. Uh, honor God with your heart. That will be today, this moment. Then we will have honor God with your body next week. Honor God with your wealth the, the week after. And we will conclude with honor God with your service. Our topic today, honor God with your heart, is also foundational to the three other topics that we will discuss in the next few weeks. That's why I'm so excited to be able to preach this. You know, the subject of honor God is nothing new to us. It's not a new concept. In fact, if you come to victory, people who stand up here will say, welcome to victory. We are about two things. We are here to honor God and we are here to make disciples. I cannot underscore the importance of the foundational uh, value of honoring God, which is why I don't want us to be familiar and miss out on the importance, the spiritual implications and foundation of this subject, which we will revisit because it's quite rather familiar to many of us. To give you just a bit of history, you know, from the very beginning, this ministry has always made, put in its mission statement, we exist to honor God from its very inception. So the honor of God is the bedrock and the cornerstone foundation for this ministry, for our lives, for this church since it started in 1984. So that's why about five years ago in our effort to be relevant, to make sure we don't get fossilized and get stuck with some age-old, you know, practices, it's time to revisit our mission, vision, and our core values. What was interesting in the discussion of pastors and leaders is they put forth this simple question that took us many hours to deliberate. And the question being, is it really necessary that we should put in our mission statement the phrase to honor God? Because isn't it presumed that every ministry that is Christian is supposed to exist to honor God? We don't want to be presumptive or even be perceived as arrogant to have to necessarily put that in our mission statement because here's the reasoning. Does that mean that any Christian ministry that do not put in their mission statement to honor God, so on and so forth, does not honor God? Of course they do. Now, of course, there's also a lot of people who want to coin it simply because it sounds spiritual. It sounds nice, but it does not really reflect in their everyday life. I fully understand. So that was the question. After much deliberation and really intense discussion, the conclusion we came out of that is, yes, we need to put it there because of very important lessons in our culture and in history. Because many organizations, many men and women of God started out really great, walking humbly before God. But when success begins to come, they become intoxicated by their own achievements and by their own success. And because it is so real, 
we make a decision to put it there, to remind ourselves that this ministry exists not for the honor of any man, not even for the honor of victory or every nation or our organization or our mission as much as we love it. But this ministry exists for one thing and one thing alone and that God's name is honored and that God's name is glorified. Amen? We love victory. We love every nation. We love one another. We love this church. But this is not just about us. This is about the honor of God first and foremost. You know, guys, we're not the biggest. We're not the brightest. We're not the best. But because from the very beginning, we have set our hearts to honor God and to walk humbly before Him, God has blessed our ministry tremendously. I mean, just the growth, the provision of God, the quality of the leaders and the volunteers that we have, the unity we have. I don't know if you realize this, but we're over 700 full-time ministers in this church. And yet, no split for 30 years. How could that even be possible? You put together strong, gifted, highly opinionated young leaders. It would be a miracle if after five years they would still be together. Because everyone will go their own way and start their own ministry. How in the world could you align gifted, strong, anointed leaders to walk together I can tell you the only logical explanation is we are all fully aligned to exist. Not for our agenda, not for our purpose, but the honor of God. Give the Lord a big hand for that. Let me tell you, because we have set our hearts to honor God. This is what I believe sustained us for 30 years. This is what protected our ministry. And I believe this is what bestowed and invite the blessings of God on us. We are by no means near even perfect. No way. But because our heart is just set, God, apart from you, we are nothing. We constantly remind ourselves, the more success we have, the more broken and the more humble we are, we are before God. And this is why God looks to us with favor and grace. We need to remind ourselves of the supremacy of Christ. He is unequaled, unparalleled. He is awesome, indescribable, unfathomable. That is the God we serve. These are foundational scriptures. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul said, I planted, Paul, one of the greatest apostles in the New Testament. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God gave the growth. We can only go as much as planting. We can work so hard to water it. But ultimately, the real hero is God brings the growth. Amen? In this church, we can rejoice and celebrate our growth. We love growth. We rejoice with growth. But we cannot, the one thing we cannot do with growth is take any credit for it. Because only God can make things grow. We believe in raising up great leaders. We equip them well. Everybody that comes up here to preach are anointed. We are blessed by their ministry. But I'll tell you, it's only planting and watering, but only God can make things grow. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Who are we here? We are nothing but mere servants, vessels of God. But it is God who is the real hero. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. 
And he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We constantly remind ourselves time and again. We never tire ourselves to re- remind ourselves we are nothing apart from Jesus. We are just honored that we could be used by God mightily for this purpose. And uh, am I good here? Sorry. There is another verse there, Psalms 127, verse 1. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord looks to us with divine favor and blesses what we do and looks to us and says, I bless the works of your hands, we will be laboring in vain. We could study all day long. We could do all the hard work. If God does not even look to us with favor, everything we do is for nothing. And this is why the key, this is the secret. My brothers and sisters, this is the secret to our success. Continue to pray for us. Amen? Continue to cover us in prayer that the attitude we have will always be, always be totally dependent on God. At this point, I wanted to talk to you about why is it important? Why is the honor of God so important for us to understand? This is just to give you a segue to the main text that we will look at. Let me cite to you an example in the Bible to show you the seriousness of understanding the honor of God. You know, there's probably no greater man in the Bible than the man Moses. A man used by God to deliver the nation of Israel. He has seen more miracles than we will ever see in our entire lifetime. He has seen God face to face. He has walked with God. Moses is an amazing man, but there is this one incident. Almost even at the end of his ministry, walk with God. Recorded in the book of Numbers 20 verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Wow! Moses and Aaron cannot enter the promised land? Why? One mistake. He did not trust God enough to honor God as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Why? What exactly happened? The long and short of it is that Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock. So what's the big deal? Water came out. But you see that action misrepresented God and dishonored God. You might ask, In what way? It's kind of hard. It's very subtle. But if you look at the verse before this and take a look at this. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them. Again, understand Moses is already frustrated. In fact, angry. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Guys, here's the question. You may not detect it. But who is the we that Moses is referring here? It's Aaron and Moses himself. And though the water do come out, Moses raises arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drunk. And yet, that careless action dishonored God. Let me ask you a question. Who really brought out the water from the rock? Was it really Moses and Aaron? Of course not. 
But you see, in their frustration now, he was just saying, must we? He robbed God of it. It is not them. It is God who did it. And not only that, instead of the water becoming an expression of the mercy and the grace of God, despite the stiff-necked, rebellious attitude of these people, which caused Moses to be frustrated, what happened? Instead of that becoming an expression of God's love, it was an expression of Moses' anger that let the water flow. You see, very subtle. It reminds me almost of Jonah, who do not want to see Nineveh saved, but he wanted wiped out. It reminds me of Christians sometimes, who wants to call down fire from heaven, to zap people out. But you know what Jesus said? Instead, if your enemy is hungry, what you do, you feed them, you pray for them, you love them. It is mine to avenge. I will take care. Be patient. Because sometimes when we lose our cool, when we start taking matters in our hands, that is where we misrepresent God. That's why God's name, we are Christians. God's name is defamed at home, in our community. Because we say we are Christian, yet plates are flying all over. We shout like we're not Christians. We have to trust God. That's why you must trust me enough. I'm in control of this situation. Just keep praying. Just keep loving. Amen? Just keep loving your enemies. Let me work through them. Here's another verse that I believe perfectly segues to our topic. Malachi 2 verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you, not, if you do not listen, if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, I inserted NIV because I love the way it puts it. If you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you. This is serious business. The honor of God is serious business. And I will curse your blessings. You don't want your blessings to be cursed, right? Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. NIV says, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Today we will look at honor God from the heart, with your heart. This is where the honor of God all begins. It cannot start anywhere else. The greatest commandment of God is to love Him with all our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. Proverbs tells us in 423, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Guys, whether you go to school, go to office, every one of us, when we live here, we will do everything. It says, in everything you do, you better guard your heart for from it flows the very issues of life. Let's take a look at our text. Would you all please st- rise to your feet? And I want you to join me in reading this Uh, Mark 7, our text, from verses 1 to 8 from the ESV. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, 
such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Father, give us divine insight into this scripture. And Lord God, I pray that from this day forward, we will come out from this place determined to live our lives, to honor you from the heart. We give you praise in Jesus' name and everyone say, Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. From this passage, I want to share with you three things I want you to understand about honoring God with our hearts. The first one is quite rather obvious to us. Honoring God starts from the heart. So I would like to read to you again verses 5 and 6, but in a different translation. New Living Translation. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law ask him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? Take note of that word, tradition. They eat without first, what's the word? Performing, you see? Ceremony is a performance. It is a ritual. Performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. I say it was right when he prophesied about you. For he wrote these people, honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They do the right things. They say the right things. But their heart is not really in it. You see, let me give you a quick of a background here. It was not like this for the Pharisees from the very beginning. 500 years before Jesus was born. A subgroup within Judaism called the Pharisees emerged. These people was they were a reform movement of lay people. They were religious elites, and their passion. Sorry, are we are we good? All right, all right. Their passion is to call the people of Israel to a life of godliness. To the people back then, they were the heroes, not the villains. These were great people. Of course, as the years has passed, and we will show you later where the problem started, they are, when we, every time we read the gospel, Jesus referred to them as hypocrites. But in the beginning, it was not like that. In fact, they believed every detail of the Old Testament law was to be applied to everyday life. That is how zealous they were. But listen guys, this is also where the problem started. In their zeal to do what is right, the focus quickly shifted from the spirit of the law or the letter of the spirit of the law to the letter of the law. You know what the spirit means? You don't just go to church. You have to have a reason why you go to church. You don't just read your Bibles or pray. Just going through the motion. You need to understand the reason why you are doing what you're doing. 
Why are you giving your tithes? Why are we giving to missions? Why do we make disciples? Why is the nations very important to us? You see? These are essential that we know the spirit more than just the letter. The externals became more important than the internal, which is the heart. Instead of conforming to the character and the righteousness of God, it quickly turned to become self-righteousness. For example, they were not living holy because God is holy, but because they want to look pious and they want to look spiritual. The focus is not God but self. We call this the spirit of religiosity. The spirit of religion always wants to change the outside. It always wants to make you look good outside. Nothing wrong with looking good outside. But they are not concerned about what is inside. Even the Bible says, man look on the outward, but God looks at the heart. God always focuses on the heart. So in Matthew 23, this is what Jesus had to say about these people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Take a look at this. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first, what did Jesus say? First, clean the inside. You really want real change? You cannot just change the outside. The spirit of the born-again experience really gets down to the change of heart. It has nothing to do with religion, sect, or church, which is mostly misunderstood. What's your religion? Are you born again? Although that, that is quite colloquial in our context, but what they're referring is that your religion, it is not a religion. You see, man has body, soul, and spirit. Your body, you brought it with you. That's your flesh, your bone, your blood. Your, spirit, uh, your, your, your soul is your will, your, your emotion. Your mind, your will, your emotion. But your spirit is the part of you that is created in the image of God. Because God is spirit. We're created in the image of God. God is spirit. And because of sin, our spirit is dead. When you accept Jesus by humbling yourself, by acknowledging, I need a Savior, I'm a sinner, I need to repent. When you invite Jesus and He comes into your heart, you pray a sinner's prayer, that dead spirit comes to life. You used to be born against, but now you're one of them. You used to laugh and joke around people that are praise the Lord. Now you are praising the Lord like crazy because you understand spiritual things. You used to use the Bible to go to sleep. And now, it is exciting. It comes alive. Amen? That is what happens. First, change the inside. That's why we don't go out trying to change the outside. That's what religion wants to do. But God wants to change the inside. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Rich people can build nice sepulchers. Mausoleums, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all unclean. One of these things that Jesus challenged the Pharisees in his discourse was this age-old tradition we mentioned earlier called ceremonial washing of the hands. It is found in 
verse 3 and 4. Let me read it to you. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. Guys, this, what is crazy about this practice is that it has even nothing to do with the real washing of the hands. It has nothing to do with hygiene at all. This is all purely ritual. It sounds nice. Imagine if you might have picked up germs somewhere as you went out. So would it be nice? Would it be a hygienic practice to at least wash your hands with water, soap and water? But this is not the case for this. As a matter of fact, you can have the most immaculate hands, the cleanest hand, the spotless hands, and you still have to do this because this was a practice. This is what they believe will make them different from all the other people. Good intent. But it was external. Show. Let me, in fact, let me give you a picture. As I research the washing of the hands. I don't know if I do this. It, may, it goes something like this. It's not just going about in a basin and washing hands. No, not like that at all. There's a proper measurement for the water. In fact, the way they measured, I wish it could just say half a cup. No, it is one egg and a half. The yolk is what they used to measure the water. So imagine one and a half. That is one fourth of your cup. That's very little water. Here's what they do. They put their hands, join the hands together like this, pointing on the top. Pour the water on the top. The water drips through until your wrist. Right? And then they clench their fists and pull down as if cleaning the, the hands. Open it again. Close the other wrist. Clean it down like this. Put the hands like this, pour the rest of the water from the wrist down to the fingers, whisk it, wash their hands. That is the ceremonial washing. It has nothing to do with getting your hands clean. No wonder, no wonder Jesus called it hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a pretense of having a virtuous character. It's a show or a display. In Greek, it means Play acting. Their worship of God has become mere lip service as they go through all the right motions but have no real inner devotion. Brothers and sisters, we can laugh, but this serves as a serious warning for us. In fact, if we go to church because it is Sunday or Saturday, whichever your preference, it could become ritualistic. If the motive is not love for God. Anything that is not done out of love for God. Which is the greatest of the commandment of God. It is religion. If it's just duty, it is religion. If you are reading your Bible. Because you have a reading plan to check to make sure. I did my devotion today. It could become ritualistic. Getting bogged down. By majoring on minor things like dress codes. Social behaviors, pastor, is it okay to watch a movie? How much makeup is really justified? Can I watch a movie? Can I dance? Can I drink wine? Can I smoke? Can I do this? Can I do that? Don't get me wrong on this. The Bible has very clear boundaries. It has principles on how to live pure. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he becomes a new creature. So we are not blurring this. But if all we're about is don't do this, don't do that, we are no different from the Pharisees.
That's why we need to know what we do, what we do. What kind of food do we eat? And here's really the big deal. What version of the Bible is really anointed by God? <laughs> Believe me, there are many churches that get bogged down with these details like the Pharisees. Like what I said, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. I had people come to me, and I don't know if there are people that come to you before, and ask you, Pastor, in your church bar, is it, do they forbid smoking and drinking? Have you ever had somebody ask you that? By the way, you guys need to know, the ultimate question of eternity, when you stand before God is, smoking or non-smoking? So you better know how to give the right answer. Now, kidding aside, the point is, guys, you can preach to people all day long about idolatry, about smoking, about drinking, and they could stop all that and still go to hell. Because those are not the things that get people saved. You know how I respond to people like this? I tell them, you know what, my friend, if you'll only know the gospel, if you will only know Jesus and what he has done for you, and if you invite Christ to come into your heart, the Lord himself will tell you what is right and what is wrong for you. In fact, if people are not ready, I don't press it. Because it has to come by revelation. The Holy Spirit had to break through because we have no power to convict and change people. Only the Holy Spirit has the ministry to convict people of sin concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. Our goal is to love them and to serve them and to show them God's truth. If the Son of Man Himself did not come to condemn the world, why should we come and condemn people? That's not our role. Our role is to love them, amen? And show them God's truth and be patient with them. This is the cross-reference to the text we read in Mark chapter 7. This is interesting because Jesus elaborated this further, especially as it relates honoring God from the heart. Take a look at this verse. And he said, are you, still, are you also still without understanding? And I says very direct. Are you still so dull? Sa colloquial language, ang bobo mo naman. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth comes into the stomach and is expelled? I hope I don't have to explain that further. But what, see, listen, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and that is what defiles a person. That is what makes the man unclean. Why? From the heart comes where? Evil thoughts. Murder, adultery. Kaya nga, before a man does something evil, it is first conceived in the heart. Sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not make a man unclean. Amen? But yet, religion is concerned about the externals. God is interested with your heart. Eating with unwashed hands do not defile anyone. Here's another thought that I believe would be helpful for us. 
This probably will explain why people honor God with their lips, but their heart is far away from God. The difference between glory and honor, the words glory and honor. The word glory in Greek is doxa, to praise, to worship. It's to, gl- to glorify, is to accurately reflect the character of God, showcasing His attributes. And if done it from the heart, every time we glorify God, we honor Him. In other words, glorifying, to glorify, is simply to declare who God is. You are awesome, all-powerful. You are the mighty one, prince of peace, everlasting fire. I mean, you can name it. You could say the right things. But you can also not honor God from the heart. But the word honor goes really, really deep. It originates from the hearts and refers to the value we personally place on someone. So to honor is to value, to revere, and to esteem to the highest degree. That's why I love the word honor. I love glory. I love glorify. But the honor, when you put value on something, if you value your wife, you value your children, you value something, you will pay the price even if you have to lay down your life. Because it's something you're willing to risk your life. It is a non-negotiable priority to you. Secondly, honoring God from the heart means worshiping in spirit and in truth. Why did we have to say this? Because it says, in vain they worship me. There is vain worship. True worship is worshiping God from the heart. John 4.23 says this, But the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The context of this passage is a discussion between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. To evade the issue of her own heart, she discussed the importance of the location. You people, you worship here, we worship here. But Jesus went right through the very issues of the heart. The location of worship is not as nearly as important as the heart or the attitude of the worshiper. For all you know, man, you could go to Rome, you could go to, I don't know what's the Mecca for Christian worship, you could go to Hillsong, you could go to wherever holy place. Amen. Where two or more gather together in His name, Jesus is there. Amen. But you see, if you're religious, you think going to Israel will make you holy or getting baptized in the Red Sea will make you holy. We will be there, by the way, in a few months. We're starting a church there, you know. Because God is spirit. He can be worshipped anywhere, anytime. You don't have to drag your feet. Man, you're so defeated. I can wait on Sunday. Man, I'm so deflated spiritually. Guys, you don't have to wait Sunday. Wherever you are, no matter what your situation may be, you feel sick, you don't feel well, you hear bad news, right there you pray. Amen? Because where, you know, God is everywhere, we can worship Him in spirit and in truth. Through the blood of Jesus, we have access to the very throne room of the presence of God. It is not where the worship that counts, but how we worship that counts. Is our worship genuine? Is it true? Is it from the heart? Finally, honoring God from the heart means obeying His word. Obeying His word. Jesus said, if you truly love me, 
you will obey what I command. Jesus charged the Pharisees with actual disobedience of God's commandment through their preference for the oral law. How ironic. These are the people whose passion is to make sure people obey the word. But let me explain to you where they missed it. First, let me read to you the verse. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. Take note of that, commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold on to the tradition of men. Tradition of men and commandments of men is one and the same. Let me explain to you where they made the, the big mistake. You see, the Pharisees' view is this, that God gave Moses two laws. The, the Torah, or what we call the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is the Pentateuch. That's the Torah. But then they also believe God gave Moses the Talmud and the Mishnah, which is the oral law by the rabbis. Or a legal, the oral law or the Talmud, the Mishnah, is a legal documentary on the Torah, on the Pentateuch, explaining how its commandments are to be carried out. Here is the reasoning. Take a look at this in this next one. The Pharisees claim that the Bible only told us what God wanted us to do, but it did not really tell us how to do it, rendering the Bible inadequate or incomplete to live a holy life. So they need anointed interpreters. If you have seen the real Talmud, have you ever seen the old encyclopedias, so many volumes? That's nothing. If you have seen the Talmud and the volumes and volumes of interpretation, Jesus Christ came to set us free, but these people are putting so much burden on the people. They're accomplishing the exact opposite. So the tradition of the elders were given to show how to do what God wants us to do, exalting the tradition of the elders to the same level as the Bible itself. History, in fact, will validate this. Let me show you. Rabbi Eleazar said, He who expounds the scripture in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. In other words, if you are going to use the scripture to contradict or oppose the traditions made by the rabbis, then you have no share in the world to come. Wow! Take a look at this next one. The Mishnah, which is the collection of Jewish tradition in the Talmud. It is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict the scripture itself. In, all, in other words, it's almost like saying it's okay to contradict the Bible. But to contradict what the rabbis are saying is serious, far greater serious offense. They have become deceived in this matter. And this is where the confusion that's why when Jesus Christ came, he had to rebuke them for all this extra biblical teaching that instead of setting people free, enslaved them. Mark chapter 7 verse 9 says, And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe the tradition, your own traditions. Guys, we don't adjust God's word to our situation. Our situation should adjust to God's word. It reminds me of a particular man watching primetime news on television. This was about 6.30 in the evening when all of a sudden there was a breaking news. 
and they showed live on television. One crazy person, I don't know if you've heard of Expressway in the United States, but that would be like our EDSA. Somebody went against the flow. Now, you know, driving in the freeway is crazy enough to go driving <laughs> the opposite. I mean, going against the flow is even crazier. So this man who watched this panic because he knew his wife was on the freeway, grabbed the phone quickly and said, sweetheart, please be careful because there's a crazy, one crazy person that's in the freeway that has drive a lot, driving against the flow. Then the wife on the other end said, are you crazy? It's not one, there's hundreds of them. Some of you will get it tomorrow. No, no, no. <laughs> the Bible says this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There's so many people, their sins are so obvious, but they try to suppress it. In fact, use and twist the scripture to justify their wrong actions. Everyone else is saying, you are heading for a disaster. But no, they feel like they are the ones that are right. And everyone else is wrong. We need the Bible to mirror us. Friends around us to mirror, to reflect. If there are concerns like that, heed it. Do not resist it. Humble yourself. Allow God to work into your lives, into your, into your hearts. Amen? In conclusion, let me just give you the bottom line. Honoring God begins in the heart. But I want to tell you one thing about the heart. Because the heart is deceitful above all things, according to Jeremiah, and is desperately wicked. Who can understand the heart? That is why it is so important that we guard our hearts. That we guard, we hide the word of God in our hearts so we will not sin against the Lord. How do we do this? Love God with all of your heart. No room for deception. No room for justification and rationalization. Love it with all your heart. This is the greatest and most important commandment. Listen, church. I know there's so much to read. The beginning, the new year, many of you are starting from Genesis. And you know you're going to go to Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. and Man, starting all over again. You know what? If you get tired, just reflect on this. Jesus summarized the whole Bible into two commands. Love God. As long as you're loving God, you're good. As long as your motive in everything you do is to love God, you're good. And then love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Amen? And here's another one. Always honor Jesus. Always. From 1 Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord. Revere Him as Lord from your hearts. Let us start the year right. Next week will be prayer and fasting. This will be a good time to get our, lay our hearts bare before God and make a commitment. Lord, I want you to reign supreme. Be Lord not only of my life, but of my heart. Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. Begin the new year right by staying updated with our schedules and events. Make sure you have the Victory Alabang app on your mobile devices. Thank you and stay connected.